Hi, I'm Callie. And I'm Rachel. And we are Pelvic Service Announcement. I'm so excited. Oh my goodness. This, I'm so excited. This episode, this has been so much fun to research. Right? Like, everything, I'm like, it's all, this is it. Like, this, this is, is the key to life. Yes. So... <laughs> We teased you a little bit last Uh, week, so please let us know. Tell us on Instagram what you know or have you heard of the vagus nerve. And we're not talking about like, man, I need to go play some bets and see some shows. Not Las Vegas. Not the Las Vegas. Not Las Vegas. The V-A-G-U-S nerve. Vagus nerve is... It's just, it's it. It's It's the holy grail of the body. I'm convinced. (laughs) I'm convinced. It does literally so much and has such a big impact on literally everything. And I'm so excited to talk about it. I cannot wait. Do you feel like this was underemphasized in PT school? Yes. Same. Yes, I definitely do. I think that like we definitely talked about it. And I think that when we learned about it, it was more just kind of like, okay, yeah. It will, yeah. Like we were learning so much about everything else. Like we had to learn all of the cranial nerves mm-hmm. and all of their function and everything that they did. And so I feel like it was just kind of like, you know, okay, Hey, by the way, like this is also, you know, this is what it does. But as we kind of like, as we dove into this researching it for this episode, I was just like blown away at just how much it really does i felt like we could have spent an entire semester on the vagus nerve right if if nothing else i feel like it deserved its own separate lecture however pt school is so crammed yeah. so <laughs> we did not possible. have time for that <laughs> um as much as we would have loved to do that but but the vagus nerve actually is a cranial nerve we kind of mentioned the cranial nerve and all that that's just a fancy way of saying it's a nerve that comes from the brain there's 12 cranial nerves but this one is actually the longest nerve so it starts it comes out of our brain it goes down through our throat it helps us swallow do things like that and then it goes down to our heart and lungs and has connections there and then continues snaking its way all the way down through our intestines to provide innervation there. So it goes from your head to your stomach. So it's one of the longest cranial nerves, not it's, nerves it's, in general, cranial nerves. Yeah, yeah. And it's the vagus, that word comes from the Latin word, to, which means to wander. wander. It's, yeah, yeah it's, the it's the wanderer. Wanderer, and so it really does, and it literally just goes like if you look up a picture of it and you just kind of look at its pathways. I mean, it literally goes everywhere, everywhere. It is massive, and it does so much, so much. Yeah. So I think to really understand the vagus nerve, you kind of have to understand um, the autonomic nervous system which is a really like big and scary word, but we're just going to break it. The autonomic nervous system can be broken down into kind of two sub systems. So you've got parasympathetic and sympathetic innervation. So sympathetic innervation or our sympathetic nervous system, when that is driving our car, driving our body, that is what 
you've heard referred to as our fight or flight. So that's what gears us up to if we are in the woods and we come across a bear, that is how we escape, right? It Instead of um, all of our blood being kind of on our organs, letting us digest, hang out, it's now going to our extremities, um, helping us run away. Our heart rate kicks up. Those blood vessels that were you that were um, kind of shunting blood to our internal organs to let those function is now going to our heart, our lungs, our arms, our legs, to help us get out of danger. Right. That is kind of like the body's way of saying like, hey, we are in a life or death situation. We need to run away and or fight whatever it is that is causing this response. So in a normal situation, that would not be kicked on for very long. It would be like, okay, boom, there's the danger, fight or flight, we're out of danger. And now we can go back to the other nervous system, this parasympathetic nervous system or the rest and digest. So that's what, where our body should be hanging out when there's not a bear or when there's not immediate danger. That is what normal function should be. And so all those blood vessels now are shunting blood to our organs, to our intestines. We That's when you start hearing the gargling noises in your tummy. Got really good blood flow there. Food is moving through the digestive tract. We are relaxed. We have a sense of well-being. There is no bear. And the nerve that drives that parasympathetic, that rest and digest, that controls all of that nice, calm, relaxing function is, drumroll please, the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve. Isn't that amazing? So, yeah. So, that's like, those are our two, we have those two default modes. Like, that is pretty much it. We are either in rest and digest or fight or flight. And so when we are, like Kelly said, we're not meant to be in that fight or flight mode for very long. That's like a five second. I do not have, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's, it's a few seconds of, you know, just that, that input and that increase in adrenaline and norepinephrine and cortisol telling our body, Hey, something's wrong. We're in this life or death situation. We need to get out, run away or fight. And when we are in that fight or flight sympathetic response for longer than that five seconds, longer than, you know, longer than that response, then we have what we, we see this buildup of the cortisol and adrenaline and epinephrine in the system. And so when we stay kind of stuck in that sympathetic fight or flight response, that is when we really start to see, um, you know, these, these people that have just high, high, high anxiety, high stress, high emotional distress and guess what? They have gut issues. They we see this correlation with IBS and IBD, Crohn's, you know, things like that because, you know, those the organs that are, you know, nice and happy when we're in our rest and digest mode are not getting that same amount of blood, not getting that same amount of attention from the brain, not getting that same amount of nutrients that they need to do their job and do their job well. Now, all of a sudden, we're in this kind of toxic environment on the inside of our body with this cortisol that's just running rampant through our bodies, telling us that, you know, there's a bear coming, you know, and so that is why we see a lot of, like I said, some of those digestive issues with 
you know, with that high stress lifestyle and those high anxiety. And if you think about like humans now versus humans way, way back when, when that system was literally fighting a bear, fighting a wolf, whatever it was, it was that system would kick in and there would be a very clear reason. Like there was a bear, there was a wolf, there was danger, somebody fell, we have to run, we have to escape. It was very clear. This is the danger and now we're out of it. Well, in today's society, most of the time when that fight or flight kicks in, it's not because there's a bear, an actual bear in front of you. Most of the time it's, oh my gosh, I have that paper due, or there's this work stress, or I've got some unresolved conflict, unresolved anxiety, or maybe it's even a fear of pain. Like I had this injury and there's this fear of pain. And so we have all of these cumulative anxieties, cumulative stressors that are kicking our bodies into that fight or flight system. But there is no real way like in our minds that we're noticing that that's resolved. So people are just staying in this fight or flight mechanism for way longer than they should, which is contributing to all of the things Rachel just talked about. Um, there's a term called neuroception, which is just basically our nervous system deciding if we are safe or not. And a lot of times this isn't like a conscious, just like we're not sitting in class or sitting at work and thinking, I am safe in this environment. It's just kind of an unconscious gathering of information, looking at our environment, scanning our environment and kind of the state of our body. So we're not always conscious of this, but... A lot of times when we don't feel safe, when we feel anxious or whatever, we're having that switch from the um, rest and digest to the fight or flight without even realizing it. So when we're in that anxiety or when we're in pain longer than a couple months or if we have unresolved trauma or if we're under stress at work or at home, then we're not really regulating that system. So we're getting stuck in that threat we're not able to shake that threat and so then we're stuck in just that loop of the high cortisol like she said all of those things and it continues there's no real resolution for our nervous system and so we continue to stay and it can have those detrimental effects so so uh, I mentioned this I know I talked about this last week um, but one of the other um talks during the fall symposium for the American Physical Therapy Association with the Academy of Pelvic Health. Um, They actually talked about um, what we call this polyvagal approach. And this just blew my mind. I like was just so excited about um, just learning about this. It literally just blew my mind. I think like literally the entire time I was just sitting there listening to this, uh, just, just listening to this talk and just like had my mouth just hanging open the entire time. Um, I don't know that I can find the specific notes that I had on this lecture. It's not loading up. It's not pulling up on my computer for some reason. Um, I think cause it, it's already done. So it's not going to let me look at it again. But, um, basically, like I said, what this is, is this, this polyvagal approach. And it basically talked about how, um, yes, we have our, our fight or flight and we have our rest and digest. Well, they kind of 
presented this idea of, well, maybe there's an in-between. Maybe there's a third mode, a third phase. And basically with this polyvagal theory, and again, this, this is a theory. Um, and so it's not, it's not proven. It's not, not, like I said, it's not proven, but it basically just kind of shows that we maybe potentially have like this third phase where we are just kind of stuck in that in between. And it is, uh, developed by uh, uh, his name is Dr. Stephen Porges. Porges. Yeah. I don't know how you say that. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen Porges. But it basically just explains how we feel that sense of safety or danger or threat and how it can impact our behavior. And it was just so cool. (laughs) Just so cool. So we have this the parasympathetic or the ventral vagal state that is our centered or quote unquote true self where we feel safe. We can interact socially. We feel great. You know, we're making that eye contact with people and we're having that, you know, feeling that safety and just comfort in our environment. And then again, we move into that sympathetic state, that feeling of threat or danger, feeling the need to run away and seek safety. Well, the third state is the dorsal vagal state, which is also our freeze or the fawning state. And that is where we feel that our lives are so immediately threatened that we become immobilized. And it basically just kind of hits the pause button on like everything in the body It's crazy. And we see this again, when we have more of that sustained response and that sustained exposure to stress and cortisol, and that can really in turn just really, really be detrimental to not only how the body functions, but how our brain functions as well. Again, we're not meant to be in that stressed state for very long. And so it can really, really change our behaviors, our sensations, and just all the things, all the things. And it's just so fascinating because I found a lot of studies that linked vagus nerve and gastric or gut health and depression or all of these things that are just so interconnected. But then, um, I was looking at that polyvagal theory and it's so, so fascinating. Some of the things like that ventral vagal system, I found this one article talking about how when we're in that, um, the ventral system is like links all the cranial nerves to sound perception, vocalization, and facial expressions. So that is why music and singing can be therapeutic. There's actually a field called music therapy. I know a girl, she's a music therapist. Um, It can be therapeutic and bonding with other, that's why we can bond with other people because of the system, because of these nerves. And that's why we feel safe and comfortable with things like that. And so um, this state allows for curiosity. It allows for play, like all of these awesome like social functions. But then in contrast, when you think about if we're stuck in that dorsal vagal, that freeze, well, then it's the opposite. Like we're going to feel antisocial. We're not going to feel bonded to other people, even though there's not like an immediate threat, we still feel or we're not able to connect in some of these ways. And so just, it's just so bizarre how much this can affect everything. Everything. Absolutely everything. Everything. 
So what does this have to do with your pelvic floor? Everything. Everything. <laughs> One of the things that I found was talking about this brain gut axis. And that was a big thing that it, that comes up when you, when you start researching the vagus nerve. And um, there's this research. And I mean, this is just everywhere. And it basically low vagal tone. Well, we're going to talk about vagal toning a little bit and just kind of the tone of the nerve. We've talked about tone, um, when it comes to muscle function, but when it comes to nerve, nerve function and neural function, that tone is a little bit different. And so it's basically just talking about the overarching activity of the nerve. And so low vagal tone or low vagus nerve activity has been observed in IBS and IBD. Stress significantly inhibits the vagus nerve activation. Again, the vagus nerve wants us to be in that parasympathetic rest and digest, happy and healthy, thriving, just chilling, hanging out. And so again, that stress inhibits that nerve, which goes into the brain gut axis. This axis basically shows it's like it's like this highway this communication pathway from the gut up to the brain and vice versa and again the vagus nerve is the main component that relays that information and so with this axis if that vagus nerve is having low tone or low activity low modulation then we're not going to get that stimulation into the gut we're not going to be digesting well and vice versa so another thing yeah it's crazy fascinating. So another thing, when we think about low vagal turn tone, or we think about being stuck in that sympathetic fight or flight response, another thing that response does is it activates the contraction of sphincters. Because if you're running away from a bear, you don't want to have to go to the bathroom to urinate or to stop and have a bowel movement. So all of those sphincters are going to be in overdrive. Well, then think about the implications for that in the long term. If we're staying activated if we have the pelvic floor staying in this constant state of contraction that's going to lead to all kinds of things like what have we harped on in here Overactivities. what is that that that's exactly what that sounds like a constant state of contraction a pelvic floor overactivity which then can result in pelvic pain stress incontinence constipation pain with intercourse difficulty achieving climax all of these things but now flip that, if we have increased vagal tone, so relax, relaxation of sphincters, relaxation of muscle, then we start getting into down training and things like that, and we start seeing that normalized muscle function. And so in an ideal world, yes, we want contraction when we should contract, contract but then relaxation when we should relax. And what we see in chronic pain, and pelvic pain is often chronic pain, is this low vagal tone that Rachel was just talking about. It's nuts. It's wild. So then what do we do in here? If you come to us and we see all these things, if we see chronic pain, you've heard us harp on breathing over and over and over. We say breathing and almost every, we're like, we're going to, how's your breathing? How's your breathing? We give diaphragm breathing to almost every single patient. And that is for several reasons. What, what we no started noticing, I think we did this before we even realized exactly what we were doing. And then yeah. we started looking at the vagus nerve and I was like, oh, this, oh, this is, is why. This is like, <laughs> like really, really important. I was like, every, I give everybody diaphragm breathing and it seems to be like a magic cure. I don't know. So we just keep doing it. <laughs> this is why. This Here's is why. why. 
We talked earlier that, you know, the wonder nerve, our vagus nerve, it comes from the brain, it goes down the throat, to the heart, and to the lungs, and to the diaphragm. One of the ways to stimulate the vagus nerve is with diaphragmatic breathing. So what they've found is you can actually trick your body into switching from that sympathetic or that fight or flight into back into the parasympathetic response by activating the vagus nerve with diaphragmatic breathing. Now, I also saw some things that said the reverse are true when we chest breathe, which if you think of chest breathing, if you've ever been running, a lot of times you're breathing with your chest. It's like a we've got to get air in quickly and rapidly that can actually switch you into the sympathetic or fight or flight and so how you breathe really really matters and rachel's got a research article in front of her face like she is about to slap some knowledge on us so let's hear it girl not only was this published um in january of this year so this is very very recent but it talks just ties a nice little bow on just all the things that we just talked about. And so this is literally called this. Listen, let's just listen to this title. I just get so happy about this. Enhancing cardiac vagal activity during resonance breathing via coherent pelvic floor recruitment. Does this not sound like the best article you're, you're ever about to read in your entire life? Let's hear it. So resonance breathing and breathing exercises have been shown to foster psychophysiological well-being and health via modulating the respiratory pattern, including length, depth, depth, and rhythmicity. So basically that breathing, controlling the breathing has been shown to modulate our the areas in the brain that control our breathing, a.k.a the vagus nerve. And so this is attributed to the baroreflex. The baroreflex um, kind of monitors our blood pressure in the body. And we have these baroreceptors kind of in the, in a lot of our, our main arteries, the big uh, blood vessels in our system that send that information back to the brain. Like, Hey, our blood pressure is way too high. We got to do something about this. And so this baroreflex stimulating effect increases the cardiac vagal activity. And so that basically helps to um, just kind of get this back and forth between the cardiac vagal activity and the um, and the the breathing, receptors in the brain. And this study found that, um, basically what they, what they did in this study is that they had these patients do resonance breathing with some coherent pelvic floor activation. And it basically yielded a stronger cardiac vagal activity than just plain resonance breathing. And so by incorporating and recruiting the pelvic floor with this breathing technique aided in that vagal and increasing that vagal nerve tone. And so I, it was just so, so cool. And I'll post the, I'll see if I can post the link to this article. It's pretty dense. It's pretty heavy talk. It, there's a lot of really big words in here. I had, it took me a second to get through it, but, um, if you're interested in it, I will definitely post that because it just has been shown to contribute to just so much of that cardiac vagal tone. And again, when we get that recruitment of the pelvic floor muscles on top of it, we get even more recruitment and even, uh, even more vagal toning there. So what's super interesting is I actually saw this clinically 
one of my patients, we had been working, we had done diaphragm breathing, working on the pelvic floor, doing all these things. Um, and she was actually able to come off her blood pressure medication. And it was not, I was, that was not my goal. I was not trying to lower her blood pressure, but she had had been diagnosed with high blood pressure and she was wanting to come off her medication. And she actually just saw it trend lower, lower, lower. And finally with her doctor's permission, her blood pressure had normalized and she was able to come off of her, um, high blood pressure medication. Now I'm not, this is not medical advice. I'm not saying diaphragm breathe and contract your pelvic floor and stop taking your blood pressure yeah. medicine. <laughs> I'm just saying it was really, really crazy. Cause at the time I was like, Oh, neat, neat trick. I <laughs> did not do, I, but yeah. But, the, but this is why, yeah. this is why. And so it just, it comes back to not only does that breathing actually have that genuine physiological and chemical and just widespread, more like scientific mm-hmm. response in the body that, that really, when it really comes down to the nitty gritty chemicals and responses and reaction pathways, not only does that help to increase that vagal tone, but find me one person that has come out of a yoga class that has, that is more stressed than when they went in. And what's right. It's crazy because yoga has been around for forever and we're like, okay, we know yoga works to decrease stress and all of these things, but I don't think we really understood why we were like, Mm -hmm. well, the deep breathing, we know deep breathing is good, but it's like, why is deep breathing good? This is why the vagus nerve is why all of those things you're getting that organ mobilization. That's another way to stimulate the vagus nerve. Diaphragm breathing is going to move those organs. Exercise is going to give you a little bit of organ mobilization. It changes your, it changes your brain chemistry. It changes the, the chemicals in your body. It changes just everything. It's so, so cool. If you can't tell, we're like nerding out over here on, on this. So another, um, uh, piece of, research that was presented in the polyvagal approach on, on pelvic floor therapy during that, um, symposium, this article was published in September of 2021 in the journal of frontiers in neuroscience. And this is called the, this, the title of this article is called the validation and reliability of a novel vagus nerve neurodynamic test and its effect on heart rate and healthy subjects. And basically what this looked at was, okay, well, how, you know, say we're in, you know, say we're in a physical therapy clinic, say we're in an outpatient clinic, how can we measure the function of that vagus nerve without all this fancy equipment that we typically see with nerve conduction velocity tests or an MRI CT scan, like we can't, you know, how, how do we test that in the clinic? And this study found a way to do that. And so you have two vagus nerves, right? Cause we have cranial nerves are duplicates. We have two, a right and a left for each of them. So you have a right and a left vagus nerve. And so as that kind of comes down the neck, the front side of the neck, and then down into the belly, well, if we can tension that nerve by playing with head and neck positioning and then doing some abdominal mobilizations to tension that nerve, if that causes an increase in any sort of pain or discomfort, we know, okay, maybe we have some neural tension. And we've talked about neural tension a little bit, but basically the nerves they don't have contractile tissue in our body. So when we bend and straighten and move our joints, those nerves have to be able to glide along the joints and through those structures to allow for adequate mobility. And so neural tension kind of feels, it's 
a little bit different than like a muscle stretch. And it's a really weird way to describe it. But like literally the only way I can describe it is nerve tension. Like I don't know how else to put it into and words. People even say like people even people know exactly what you're talking about because they'll say it feels nervy. Yeah. And, like, yeah. People know what that means. Yeah. It just it feels nervy. And so if we can get that nervy feeling, if we can tension the vagus nerve we can essentially test how it's functioning. And that's what this study found. Um, basically that this, um, this novel vagus nerve neurodynamic test was valid and reliable and capable of detecting vagus nerve activation with high sensitivity. So it's a really, really good test. I literally, I read this article, listened to this lecture on Friday, did it in the clinic on Monday and had pretty significant results and pretty significant benefits in these patients. And so it's definitely something that we like to look at um, and just kind of the effects that it has on heart. And that's what the this study did is they measured heart rate. They measured, um, I'm pretty sure they measured oxygen saturation and blood pressure and heart rate and breathing rate. And all of those things were measured while they did this test. And they were just able to kind of show the difference after, you know, before, during, and after this vagus nerve, uh, neurodynamic test and how they were able to kind of essentially do some nerve glides. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the, if we do find any neural tension and this goes for anywhere, anywhere in the body, any nerve, um, nerve glides can really help increase that effectiveness of their ability to slide and glide through the joints and through the body as they move. Well, we need that in the abdomen too. And so, with things like stress and adhesions and scar tissue from repeated abdominal surgeries, that neural mobility can be a little bit reduced. And so we can use this, these nerve glides essentially for the vagus nerve to, to help with that. And it's just so fascinating because this is like the key piece of physical therapy that I think has been so overlooked. We're like, yeah, we'll like check the neural mobility of the shoulder, the upper extremity, the lower extremity all day long. But it's like all this research on the vagus nerve. If you're a pelvic floor PT, you got to be looking at this. You've got to be looking at how this is contributing and you've got to be addressing it. Because so many people have anxiety and depression, especially your patients who have chronic pain, because it's depressing to be in pain for 10 plus years or five. I mean, it's, and so you've got to look at these other things and we've said it before and we'll say it over and over again. You've got to treat the patient as a whole. I mean, if you're just looking at the pelvic floor, you're missing the vagus nerve entirely because it's a little bit higher and that's the way nerves work. They affect things. They trickle down. Down the chain. So kind of our whole takeaway for that, like, what does this mean to you as a patient is look at your, if you're someone with chronic pain and some of the things we've mentioned that can be related to the vagus nerve, something we mentioned depression, GI issues, whether that's constipation, irritable bowel syndrome, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, migraines, chronic pain, any of these things, We always say, we ask people, what is your stress level like? So if this is you, take a look at your stress level and kind of assess, like, do you ever feel just that calm and at peace feeling? Or are you constantly like a million, your brain's going a million miles an hour looking for the next bear, whether that's, oh my goodness, I've got to get that report in for work. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I've got to just can't turn your brain off type of person. And if that is you, then the next thing is, okay, 
if I'm staying in that fight or flight, I now know how that is affecting me, right? I know I have all these problems or it can lead to these problems. And then you have to try to start to get out of that. And that is where the diaphragmatic breathing comes in really, really huge and starting just to try and de-stress. We've talked over and over again about how stress can impact you in so many negative ways. And this is just further research backing that up again from a different angle. Yeah. Again, it changes, it changes your chemistry. It changes your brain chemistry and just the, just everything, everything. I wish you could see my face right now. Cause I'm just have like this like, like mind blown, like we, like I said, we are just nerding out over here and, and Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I know we've talked briefly about diaphragmatic breathing, but what we mean specifically with that is basically belly breathing. And so if you're listening to us right now and you can, if you don't be doing this while you're driving. I mean, you can belly breathe while you're driving, but don't listen to exactly what I'm going to tell you to do if you're driving right now. Put one hand on your chest and one hand on your belly. <laughs> you're going to give a big deep breath in using your belly. So only that hand on your belly should be rising and falling as you take those big deep breaths in and out. Breathing this way, like Kelly said, when we get away from that chest breathing and move a little bit more into that belly breathing, we're getting that vagus nerve stimulation just a little bit more and it allows that slowing of the heart rate. It allows that peace to wash over you. It allows the cortisol to get out of your system and it really, really helps just with overall relaxation. Now, tying into the pelvic floor as the diaphragm contracts and it comes down to allow the lungs to fill up with air it puts pressure through the rest of the abdominal contents they gotta go somewhere and so the pelvic floor accommodates and descends and we get this beautiful and synergistic back and forth of the diaphragm with the pelvic floor and so that is why we give diaphragm breathing to pretty much all of our patients um it helps so much not only with stress but also with relaxing that pelvic floor a lot of my patients do this right before bed and they're asleep in five seconds Mm -hmm. and so it really does help just calm all the things all the things and with kind of some of those if you want to integrate take it a step further and you want to really get some more mobilization include like a a chant or a Mm -hmm. sigh or like just some like even like a deep like a a hum or some vibration through that chest cavity that'll kind of radiate that will help that'll give more of that positive sensory input input put on some calming music or some music that you like something that feels comforting something that makes you feel safe all of these tools will help regulate that nervous system it's going to improve your sensation of safety and of pleasure your brain is going to start sending commands to um, initiate that optimal digestion you might even start hearing hearing your belly gurgle or rumble it's a good thing yeah you should you should start to feel less pain um and sometimes it can even make you feel more ready to socialize because it's just sending all those positive cues so if you're somebody who has social anxiety maybe do some of this diaphragmatic breathing before you go out and it might make you feel more inclined to be social so i will (sighs) say if you're trying to do this and you start getting a lot of like really intrusive or negative thoughts anytime you stop to diaphragm breathe whatever that is for you i highly recommend coupling this with some kind of counseling so get some help we live in such a stressful world and 
again, I think that's why we see so many of these problems because our world's just stressful and that's why we're staying stuck in that fight or flight. And so if you're trying to do this and you're like, I can't even belly breathe and quiet myself for five minutes because I start having all of these really, really negative intrusive thoughts, that's a really good sign that maybe you just need a little more help. And so that's where getting some therapy, some counseling, some mental health counseling can be extremely beneficial in combination with these other techniques. Absolutely. Some other ways to actually stimulate this that I love, it's for us to play. Like when was the last time you kind of like just played like just a play. kid? So sing, dance, go for a walk with someone, just kind of get into that safe, fun space. We're so serious and we're so stressed out all the time. And so get out of that, get into your, your safe space and play a little bit. All of those things can be really, really beneficial in helping increase the vagal tone, which is what we want. And if your low vagal tone has caused a pelvic floor dysfunction, come see us. Please. As always. Pretty please. Pretty please. There's also some really, really good benefits to yoga. We talked about that briefly, and that deserves its own episode. We're going to have to do an episode about yoga and the pelvic floor, but... There was a webinar on yoga and the pelvic floor, um, but that also just so happened to be at the same time as a webinar for pelvic pain and pelvic girdle dysfunction, so I chose that one instead. So stay tuned in the next couple of weeks to have a little recap of pelvic girdle dysfunction. But um, as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Um, your PSA this week is to breathe. Through your belly. Through your belly. Do some belly breathing. And of course, come see us. Absolutely. Rachel, do you have a patient win? I do, and I'm so excited about this patient win. Let me tell you all about it. So this patient, we've been working for a few weeks. Not a super, super long time, but she has a history of uh, pelvic cancer. She had... um, neurofibromatosis in the pelvis and it was a very very large tumor that they had to remove lots and lots of pain lots and lots of um, muscle tension not only in the pelvic floor but the abdominals the adductors just everywhere where this tumor was and so and this was this was many many years ago that that she had this removed but definitely still dealing with some of the residual side effects of it and it's just kind of just lives in like a seven out of 10 pain is just kind of her normal. And so we've been working, like I said, for a few weeks, just on some mobility and some strengthening. She is weak, 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 weak. And it's basically her pelvic floor that's holding her together at this point. And so we've been working on some strengthening and she told me she comes in the other day. We have a couple stairs that lead up to our clinic and also a ramp. And so she comes in, she's got a big old smile on her face. She goes, Rachel, I walked up those stairs out front today. And I looked at her, I was like, are you kidding me? She's like, yeah, I've always taken the ramp, but yeah, I walked up the stairs. And I was like, when was the last time you went upstairs? She goes, 2019. 2019. This woman has not been able to go upstairs for three years. And granted, it's only three steps to get into our clinic, but three stairs. I'll take that. That's huge. That's huge. And I I love the conversations like this because I tell patients all the time, progress is not linear. And so you've got to celebrate those wins. Yeah. Big or small, you've got to celebrate them. And I I love that. I I mean, I think that's amazing. And I'm sure for her, that was huge. Yeah. She was so happy. And it's just to show like 
we're getting there. The process is, it's working. Trust the process. I love it. I love seeing these patients progress. Okay, so I was going to do a diastasis recti win because I haven't done one of those in a while. So had a patient, I don't know how many months, I think she's four months postpartum, but we had a pretty significant diastasis. I think three fingers and it went pretty high up. And so we've, she was pretty concerned about it. We've been working on it. She's phenomenal what anything I tell her to do I mean I say jump she says how high so she's super super fun to work with and we measured it recently and we're down to about half a finger at the widest point and it's not very deep at all uber compliant with her exercise so we're getting into a lot of the more fun core work getting into some um kind of cross body type things start reforming those connections and it's just been really, really fun. And it's been fun watching her. I mean, she just, she was like, I feel great. Everything's going great. Feels amazing. So it's always great when our patients I do good. They that. feel good. It makes me, makes us feel good. We love to see you guys thrive for sure. Um, thank you for all the positive feedback we've been getting on social media yeah. we've had a lot of physical therapists patients reach out to us recently and just say super super encouraging and positive things we try to respond to all of those dms when we get them and it means a lot because i mean believe it or not we're just two people who had no idea what we were doing and we started a podcast yeah <laughs> Yeah, we, we've loved just how far this has come and we just, it's, we've only been at this for seven, eight months now and it's just, it's really cool to see how, how far and wide that this podcast has reached. And like we said, if this podcast can reach one person and get them the help that they need, it's worth it. Absolutely worth it. It's been crazy getting DMs from Canada, Wisconsin, like all these places I had no idea we were getting any kind of any kind of reach so that's been really really great and if you are someone who sends in that positive feedback it makes our day like, it really it, does because we sometimes sit here and we question we're like are we does anybody any care does, about this does, yeah. does anybody care do we just does anybody else think this is interesting or are we the only people that are we just the only ones nerdy out over the Vegas nerve with two microphones <laughs> so we really really appreciate that positive feedback because we love doing this we love that it helps you guys we love getting the information out there we love advocating for pelvic health so we're always very very happy to know that it does make a difference for some Absolutely. of you so thank you and thank you guys who listen. I mean, we couldn't do this without listeners. It'd be yeah. pointless. So, all right. Well, next week, hoping to have something a little fun, maybe a little lighter topic. I don't know. We'll have to see what we come up with. You'll have to come back and find out. Okay. Well, that's all we have. So we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.